1: Hello and welcome to Rainstop Play. Uh No intro this week because there's only one thing to talk about and that is Joe Root, Rob Key, all the England stuff. It's a full Rainstop Play as well. Let me say hello to everyone as normal. Glenn, hello. Exciting pot ahead.
2: It is. I'm so glad to be back as well. It's been a couple of weeks out in Chicago and I really am delighted to be back talking about cricket. It's my favourite thing to do. Good, good. Will, excited for this one? Excited about the England chaos?
3: Very much so. Loads to talk about this week. Um, I should also say, this is the first part I'm recording from my new flat. And I, I'm technically in Kent catchment area now, rather than Surrey. So I well, made a defection. Well,
1: we can Even have worse. That, you know, later on in the part about championship stuff. But who knows what 100 team you can support now. I know you like to flip-flop between them anyway.
4: I'm pretty sure Kent is still over Invincibles. I hate to break it yeah, to you. I think you. it is, isn't it? Yeah.
1: That's the beauty of the 100. It represents all the, all the great. <laughs> uh, and hello, Zach, who um, just spoke there as well. Hello. Hello. Sorry. It's okay. No, it's fine. There's, there's there's no order to this whatsoever. Uh, let's get into it. If you've not heard already, uh, Joe Root's no longer England captain, and Rob Key is the new managing director of England cricket. Um, I don't know where to start. Let's go with Joe Root because that was the first news that broke a while ago. Thoughts, um, Glenn, I want to hear what you have to think about this first. Like, I wasn't particularly surprised that it happened. Um, he's obviously gone away and reflected, and I think it's nice that we have this blank slate now and. Um, maybe later on we can start talking about Root's legacy as captain but initial uh, thoughts on on what happened a few days ago
2: yeah thanks Dan it's um, yeah I think it felt somewhat inevitable after, after what's happened over the last couple of months so as we've said before it's worth reiterating these stats you know England have won One of the last 17 tests, which is their worst run since the 1980s. Winless under Root in the last nine. I mean, that is a lot of tests. And obviously, we have this new league, this new metric by which we can judge test teams against each other, which I think most of us are in favour of, the World Test Championship. And currently, England are rock bottom of that. So... Looking within that kind of context, I think it isn't really surprising that the captain who has unfortunately been in charge for this serious decline in the quality of test cricket over the last year or two has walked. Um, Did he have to go? I think a lot of uh commentators and analysts have said, listen, if there was a clear alternative to root, he would have gone after the ashes. He wouldn't have been part of this quote unquote Red Bull reset. That that seemed like a contradiction. You can't really reset with the same guy in charge who has undergone this terrible run. But as we've discussed before, as we will discuss again today, there is a genuine dearth of options um, f- for which to replace him with. So it kind of felt like he was doing it out of, you know, kind of duty instead of him actually wanting to do it. He looked extremely kind of gaunt and quite, I think, hollow towards the end of the West Indies, um, <laughs> West Indies test. He, he looked gaunt. Like... Loved that. He
1: did look gaunt. <laughs> he, he must not be
2: eating anymore or something because he's having to watch like, <laughs> folks run himself out. <laughs> yeah, I think that was genuinely a series too far for him um, for, for whatever health, whatever reasons. Um, <laughs> looking at, you know, some of the highlights for him, we had that massive win away in South Africa when we did think that this was, you know, this exciting new generation um, of English test talent. And obviously um, he, he scored the most runs ever as an English captain. I think that's something that we all should bear in mind, despite the failures of everyone around him and the pressure that in previous um years that has piled on other captains, right? So pretty much every other English captain, they've all been batters, um, have their former suffered as a result of their captaincy. That didn't happen for Root. I think it's a magnificent achievement that he was still batting. Like as he is one of the best elite players in the world. So I don't want to be too hard on him. I think there is a lot of stuff around him that's failed. We can look at the management. We can look at his players, who he's been in charge, tasked of, of, of encouraging. They've been woeful a lot of the time. And he has this kind of strange, I, I'm pretty sure this is right, the strange paradoxical stat of having both the most wins and the most losses as an England captain, which is a very strange one. So it basically just means he did it for a long time. That doesn't really kind of extrapolate yeah, too much right. And that's what brings
1: us on to my next point. I want to hear, Will, what you and Zach, what you guys got to say about his legacy, really. Because, like you said, Glenn, it's a strange fact that he has won the most and lost the most because he was in charge of the most. And perhaps he shouldn't have been in charge of the most because of his flaws as captain, perhaps. Um, I think what has come from it is you know, everyone who's written about him and spoke about him saying he is a nice bloke, he's a nice guy, he did try his hardest, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the point you make, Glenn, that he kept scoring runs in a bad test team he was trying to captain is, is very impressive but but Will what do you think Root's legacy will be as captain obviously he's got the next five years to knuckle down and become one of the greatest ever if he, if he already isn't that uh, but what will his captaincy period look like?
3: It's a good question and obviously you know Almost nobody leaves on a high note. I think that's that's one of the sort of tragic things in sport. You you go when you've lost a few. That's inevitable. But in the end, I think you'll remember him, as Glenn said, for scoring runs at a rate that you've never really seen from a captain before. To to, to not really drop off once taking on that leadership role and come back and be probably the best test batsman in the world, arguably for the last two years, is extraordinary. And if he can keep that up for the, for the next year or two, he will be remembered as an absolute elite top tier batter who happened to be captain for a few years when there was kind of nobody else to do it and had a pretty good record in there. I have to say, I think the wins and losses stat is an interesting one because on the one hand, it reveals that yeah he did it for a while. But I think it also kind of sums up the way that English cricket kind of swings between absolute horror when you have an ashes like they've just had. But also that shouldn't, Detract from the reality that England are still a better test team than most that play they the bottom of the table because of who they've ended up playing. But they're still, you know, they beat South Africa the last time they were there. They yeah, they beat West Indies and Pakistan at home. They bet they're a better test team than Sri Lanka. They're a better test team than Bangladesh. You know, they're probably worse than New Zealand and Australia and India and then better than most of the teams below them, probably on a par somewhere with South Africa and Pakistan. And that's not a disgraceful place for a test team to be by any stretch of the imagination. So I think they're kind of unlucky in that you had to play India twice and Australia in the space of 12 months. And probably that makes some of that run of form look worse than it is. But on the other hand, I completely agree. The body language, the whole mood around the camp wasn't great. The West Indies defeat, I think you can largely put down to just kind of running out of steam, the whole operation needing a refresh. So it's, it's the right time, I think. I don't think anybody agrees with that. Um, I'm pleased that he's been able to to jump rather than be pushed. I think it would have been a, a bad taste in the mouth if somebody had come in as the new coach and tried to get rid of Joe Root in that fashion and force a reset when it wasn't really there. So in the end, I don't think anybody can be too unhappy with how this has panned out.
1: Interesting about the was he obviously he did he jumped but maybe he was given the the Rob Keys getting the job he will sack you do you mind his do you mind Rob Keys first statement not being Joe Root do one I, there might have been a bit of that there we haven't got time would you, do
3: you think you would though coming in a stretch of cricket Give it given
2: the other I'm, options you've got rid of Joe Root yeah really definitely i, I said he so. would have yeah. he said He's, he would have
1: before yeah and we'll come on to Rob Key and his what he how he works and thinks in a bit but yeah I think he would have so I think maybe that was part of it because all the statements coming out of the West Indies and the fact he was even there in charge in the West Indies suggests that he was fine to give it another go maybe he ran out of steam Um, Zach wins away in South Africa and Sri Lanka that were nice and uh, that test in India which we won which seems like an entire lifetime ago and everything was fine other than that I feel like Roots he missed he's missed an Ashes win like that that 2019 series, if he'd won that, which ended up being two two, I think we'd be have a slightly different tone. Although Wills was quite positive, I think there'd be an even more positive tone, perhaps more unanimously across the board for for his era. And he, and he he's not had a good team to look after at any point, has he?
4: He's not, no. And and I do think. So there's, there's differences between the kind of positive, the positive vibes around the Sri Lanka series and that India test. I'm going to, I'm going to group them together because that was just a good, that was good fun for like a month when, but it was only good fun because he just scored an absolute mountain of runs. Everyone else was terrible. Like as a team, we weren't very good, but just Sri Lanka were awful and Joe Root, they just couldn't get Joe Root out in South Africa. It was better. It was against a, it, but again, it was against a decent South African Bowling attack. It wasn't against a very good South African batting lineup. I think if we went to South Africa now, we'd we'd get we'd get pummeled, and I think South Africa will probably beat us at, at home this summer. But yeah, he's not had a good team to look after. But I don't think he was a good captain at any point. And what I've heard not is not the kind of Rob Key stuff that apparently the new coach might have wanted him gone before he was going to sign on, which supposedly new coach could be Justin Langer which I'm really hoping that they split the job because they're very separate and I I, I don't want Justin Langer for any of them but if oh, you're going to give him one I want to split them. the jobs
1: yeah well I think that brings us nicely onto, uh, onto Rob Key who was announced on Sunday Easter Sunday uh, that he's the new managing director of England cricket and I love this move and um, Zach shaking his head looking forward to this I like, Rob Key seems like a really nice guy. And ever since he started doing Punditry with Sky, like five years ago, he makes a lot of sense. He talks a lot of sense. And from what other people have said, who are obviously friends of him, and they will say this, Hussein, Atherton, et cetera, he's got a good cricketing brain, which is a funny phrase that's being thrown around at the minute. Um, so I like it. Fresh ideas. What we're going to come on to in a second is things he has to tackle. But Zach, you've been shaking your head so vigorously
4: there. I thought it was about to fall off. So I need to hear what you have to say about this. (laughs) So I I like the positive spin on things, Dan. I do. But this was so fabricated from the start. The fact that all of his mates in the media were just like, oh, Rob Key's in in for the job, is he? Oh, yeah. Nothing, nothing going on there, was there? And also, it's not like he's, it's not like he's, he's coach. He's not coach, which he doesn't have very much coaching experience, he has even less management experience. He's not being a coach. What about he's all those
1: being... years in charge of Kent? He was quite a good captain for Kent. And that's that's he's managing a to an extent. I understand it's but not.
4: It's managing a... Of, a, of a sort. But it's very different to what he's going to have to do. There are so many people who we don't really know because they're not ex-cricketers generally, the better people who do those sorts of jobs, who could have done that job. But... This guy who you know talks a good game on Sky. <laughs> no, I like him. He talks a good game on Sky. I'll give you that, Dan. But he doesn't have any experience in any roles yeah, that are that similar fair. to this. So Absolutely. I don't think it's a good appointment.
2: Yeah, Dan, your 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 response was just like I guess the the kind of Sky propaganda machine's dream of, of, of well, I this average at
1: some point. So I
2: hope they're listening. <laughs> I mean,
3: Dan Dan how still how wants the hundred job. You know? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like this this average middle England fan watches Sky Sports. They they list, they see what Athers and uh, everyone else tweets about their mate. He's a nice guy because being a nice guy worked so well for Joe Root, as we just heard. What, uh, what, one, th- one thing I would say, though, to be fair, on the manager experience stuff, I agree with you, Zach. I agree with you. But I did I did hear um, someone mention that, you know, Giles did have the manager experience didn't do him very much good. And Strauss hasn't got the manager experience and has been, you know, in various roles, been relatively consistent. So although I do agree with you in principle, yeah, they've just bought in a mate and it kind of leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, nice guy or not. The experience, I think it's one of those roles where you know that that kind of insider having a real rich understanding of the game which is probably one of the few big ticks I think in his in in his side of things here He, he does have a really great understanding of the English game that can that counterbalance this lack of kind of real politic experience in the managerial stuff maybe maybe not I don't know but to see Giles do so poorly with that management background just makes me want to push back against that just a fraction
1: what is his actual, What is his job? What is the managing director of England cricket? What's he going to be doing? Can we can we just clear this up? Is he just sort of moving chess pieces around?
3: Well, my to be honest, my okay, caveat, I have no idea. My understanding <laughs> of the job is basically, as with lots of the things where you're the head of a big organisation, basically there are other people who do most of the actual work in every yeah. single department. What you have to do is make three or four key decisions and get them right. Precisely. And that's what Ashley Giles didn't do. Precisely. and Andrew just kind of kind of did so and that's where the sort of the cricketing brain stuff which is so easy to fabricate and comes from mates mm. but like ultimately I'd rather that without the experience than some kind of very good relations with the ECB hack mm-hmm. side of things tom harrison so, yeah you know tom harrison's mate from the business side that's that's the opposite of what we Someone's
1: was. So... mate was going to get the job at the end of the day <laughs> it just happened to be sky because yeah,
3: it's english cricket we know what we're talking precisely. about here. precisely precisely
1: um, so let's look at some of the decisions he's got to make then, because i tell you what, I don't know when he starts, Might be might be Tuesday, he's going to have some inbox, isn't he? Because he's got all sorts to sort out. There is uh, no coach of the men's test team, there is no captain in the men's test team, uh, there's no options for the men's captain really, we've talked about this a lot. Um, he's got to sort out the county game, where does the 100 sit in this, um, helping sort of hand over Owen Morgan's captaincy eventually in a year or so's time, what does he do with Broad and Anderson, so... Where do we want to start with this? My favourite point to start off, actually, I'm going to decide, is Broaden and Anderson because he, I know Rob Key, and he spoke about this on the Sky Sports podcast, is ready for them to be to be done. So I suspect we'll see. He he said he wants them to give him a send off. I suspect they'll play this summer, get their lap of honour, and be done with. I think. Um, do we do we think Rob Key's going to push through with that?
2: Well, we have this wonderful just just like endless contradiction in English cricket, whereby you're saying there, Dan the 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 new boss, the new head of things, is saying, well, he wants Broad and Anderson out, and simultaneously, I open I open Wisdom or, or Cricket or whatever, and there's an interview with Broad, seeing if he fancies being captain. <laughs> <laughs> How do those two line up? And that's serious, right? That's just like you think it's a joke, yeah. but that's precisely true. So, you know, the fundamentals are clearly lacking here. There is clearly some anchors, which we know, which you just really nicely put there, that, you know, there's this running joke that nobody's here to hire everyone because they've all been fired. So what do you do then? There's no one here to make the hires. Obviously, we've got Rob Key coming in with the as as well put. I completely agree with him. Rob Key's job here is to hire three people who do the job well. He sits back goes to the beach, enjoys away tests and just watches it unfold. These next, it's no exaggeration to say these next three, four weeks, the next month will define his tenure. If he gets it right, he's a success. If he messes it up, done, job done. So I would not necessarily want to be Rob Key for the next couple of weeks because the pressure he'll be under is absolutely mammoth.
1: It's huge. And, and you're right about that. What, what, what do we want to see boys? Like Zach, how would you like these? Cause there's so many questions. I don't, you can just reel them off, but like, Do you split the coaching situation? Who would you give the captaincy to? How would you handle Broad and Anderson? Um, We can almost let the white ball team do its thing for the next 12 months, probably. But that is going to be an issue in 12 months, uh, if not earlier, depending on how the World Cup goes. So how would you like to see these things handled?
4: I think the coaching job should be split 100 percent. I think the test job should go to someone who, I mean, don't I mean, I don't know anyone. And then Langer, fine. Give it to him and um, but then the white ball job potentially go to someone a little bit less experienced because I don't like we said it doesn't necessarily need it doesn't need the kind of really hands-on intense approach for the next 12 months it's going pretty well under Morgan apart from someone's going to have to tell Morgan to retire at some point hopefully relatively soon but other than that it, it's all going pretty smoothly and Yeah, maybe tell Morgan he can he can just be the coach of the white ball team in a couple of years time. You know, I'm happy for him to do. I mean, if I was if I was taking up Rob Key's job tomorrow, I'd say to Morgan, retire and I'll give you a cushy job with a four year contract as the white ball coach. Oh, nice. That's what I do. I'll be be happy to see that.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think you put that really nicely. Uh, There's also so we've got the the coach. Uh, potentially being splitting that role into two, which I agree with, and I would actually advocate for Langer for the test team, and again, whoever else for the one day. That kind of runs itself. I have seen a couple of people mention well, we don't want to lurch so far that we're focusing on the uh, test stuff that we actually let the gains that we've made in the One Day Arena fall back. The the way that you know the 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 One Day Cricket is valorized so much now, like the shorter form of the game, I don't see that necessarily being possible. But it's it's worth keeping in mind, you know, you turn too far one way and you and you let the other stuff fall apart. And it's worth noting we did win the 2019 World Cup, like that was a massive, massive, massive achievement. Let's not forget that. Um, another thing is, are we going to bring back the Chief Selector? I think having it having everything centralised with one person was a disaster, and I think we should bring back the Chief Selector. I don't think Ed Smith actually did a very good job. I didn't particularly like him in the role. But if we actually find someone who's good at their job, that'd be a really nice bonus, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I, could, I love the role you of equality. Exactly.
3: Probably. But you could you could you could say the same thing for the for the centralized system. Like was the, was was the centralization a problem or was Chris Silverwood just rubbish? oh it's so hard to
2: I, achieve. I i think yes yes but i think you know de facto you know uh, a consequence of this centralization is you're not you, you know you're really saying it, it you're sinking or swimming with this one person right that is the whole point and yet if the person's a genius it goes well absolutely mm. and that's why they did it but if you there's not enough checks and balances right if it's just silverwood doing whatever he wants like I don't want death by committee for the England team, let's be honest here. But I think having a couple of respected voices, having an input, hopefully, uh, I, I almost swore there, but hopefully a diverse group would be really, really, really nice. It won't happen, because we've just seen everyone's best mate Rob Key coming in. But actually, you know, a diverse group of people and voices with some different experiences other than private school would be really nice to help grow this test team in a sustainable way yeah this is this is wishful thinking again yeah. <laughs> this is, we're off in the yeah, I i've <laughs> lost it
4: are you saying we should have someone who isn't a white male in their 40s or 50s who didn't go to private school and play 10 years of first class cricket
2: <laughs> no not comments ahead of ourselves
3: exactly. <laughs> can't be done um have we done that? Cap- I- can I come back to white ball really, really quickly? Because I I do sort of think there is a danger of eye off the ball kind of thing with this. Although I could, I absolutely agree with with what Dan you're saying on the coaching. Owen Morgan, I mean, like full respect. Great captain, winning the World Cup, huge achievement. Nobody has cushy ECB job written all over them more than Owen Morgan. He will walk straight into that coaching job with the hundred. He'll get a hundred job. Yeah, well that's it. He'll go he'll go head coach for a team in the hundred, and then he'll boom, come yeah, straight absolutely. back in a, in a year or two. But I do think, we've said before ahead of the T20 World Cup that it is an ageing white ball team. Very few players under the age of 28. You do have to keep a little bit of an eye on things that when Morgan goes, you hand over Joss Butler, it's all quite cuddly, they continue doing what they're doing. If you don't stay ahead of the curve, you can fall behind quite quickly. So I think I would be wanting to do that while it's easy now, uh-huh. rather than say, give it a year and then we'll think yeah. ahead. That's a great be Proactive. Work. Don't let, don't let, don't let fall
1: it fall apart and have to totally rebuild. Just sort of give it a bit of love while it's still doing its job
4: i think also uh, we're gonna have a generation of, of players coming through who because of the way they've structured the season won't have played 50 over cricket for years any of the good any of the good white ball players won't have played 50 over cricket so you know there's gonna be, there's gonna be a problem i i don't think it'll be a problem in 2023 in that world cup but in 2027 i know that's we're looking far down the line now i've got i've it could got be a problem because, about that. thanks <laughs> <laughs> most of the players by then, well, I'm, I'm sure that your main worry in 2027 will be whether those people have played 50 over cricket.
1: Um, Have we done, we did captaincy chat a few pods ago because it was like, Root has to go, who gets in charge. Now he's actually gone. And someone has to be captain of this men's test team fairly soon. The waters haven't cleared, have they boys? There's no one, there's nothing else. Unless Glenn, you've just got a, a name that should be nailed on. I mean, The only one it should be given with, bar the caveats that we've spoken about and is in the media,
2: is Ben Stokes. But how would he get it? I can't work out he's going to get it. Well, well, that's precisely it. And I think there's an analogue here to, you know, a slightly different way. You know, I think the way that Rob Key's name kind of just somewhat appeared and was just sustained by this (laughs) kind of just. Media machine again, right? I think Ben Stokes in the last week or so we've seen oh there's kind of we're not too sure to pretty much every um you know kind of commentator analyst that I've seen saying it's Ben Stokes if he wants it. So I think there has been a shifting gears since we last spoke about three weeks ago. I think there's been a a real kind of acceptance that if Stokes is you know physically, mentally, all of those factors feels like he's up for it, and it's Ben Stokes even if he's not feeling that way he'll say he is and he'll be captain in the next couple of weeks. I do not yep. doubt that for a second, yep. but it, again, we are banging the, we, you know, we're, we're really flogging a dead horse here, but yeah, it, it, it's painful that uh, there's another, sh- there's the kind of odds that I, that I think Will can let us know, but the shortlist of other candidates, I think a lot of them aren't even in the team at the minute. So really, yeah. you know, we're kind of stuck. And it stokes because, you know, he's already in a position of authority, he's vice captain, and he's an inspiring world class generational talent. Yes. But that takes away. That's a very narrow lens, which completely ignores all the baggage around that. Yeah. Um, and by, by baggage, I don't mean mental health stuff. I just mean behavior and other other concerns that I've expressed <coughs> in the pod before.
1: And and I think we we've got to and again I can't remember if we've already spoken about this but just say if even if Broad gets it for a year or someone gets it for a year and gets his team working again then have another captain you know it's not a presidential term this England captaincy we can we can move on when we need to so it, it will be fascinating to see to see how that develops
3: but those the, those odds that Glenn mentions are absolutely hilarious so in that top four you obviously have Stokes right at the top um, and then it goes Billings Vince Moeen the next three of the top four aren't even in the team one of whom is retired and then i think the next it was well, then obviously broad who's not in the team and then i think bestow is the next who's actually in the eleven, and then crawley is just below him
4: <laughs> i've got some odds here that lawrence is lawrence is above moeen and zach crawley Mo, dan lawrence 12 to 1 well, i don't been, think we're
3: far away from, from um from, from Roy burns mate it's your prediction from years
1: oh, ago oh yeah yeah listen if this comes true right if he does get it uh, the biggest shout of my life i'm gonna retire that's it never never come never doing anything that accurate again
4: you should, it, have, you should have start. put money on it then
1: sort of everything was fine in 2020 everything was okay and i was like that guy's been captain one day and now here we are in this absolute fireball mess of of random people being chucked around
3: Speaking of fireball messages, can I just say my closing thought on this? I personally really look forward to what is such an obvious train wreck of the leadership team being Rob Key, Justin Langer and Ben Stokes. That is <laughs> that is complete chaos. That's all I'm excited. <laughs> That's
2: top of the test World well, just Championship.
4: <laughs> one one final point on Ben Stokes as captain. I think if Ben Stokes is captain, we we, we lose Ben Stokes in two years. He retires from all cricket.
1: 100 percent. yeah
4: is we'll also how, get
3: an, we'll also get an ecb nft within the next six months <laughs>
4: oh definitely he is, he's done a lot of research on that to be fair he really has and
1: you know if if we lose five years of him it, it's worth it for an nft and like fifth in the world test championship table that'll be a good season that'll be a good season well uh lots to ponder we could probably talk about for hours and i'm sure there'll be more discussion on that as the weeks roll on uh but that'll about do for part one. In part two, we'll be chatting County Championship and IPL.
3: All right, welcome back to part two. Uh, Two things for you in Around the Grounds this week, of course, where else we got the County Championship.
0: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early,
3: and the IPL to get stuck into. Uh, First of all, county Championship, Zach, why don't we go to you first? What's been happening? Give us the update.
4: I think it's been a more interesting week this week. Obviously, as previously mentioned, last week's podcast, no one's heard it, but I did a summary of some people scoring some runs, and there not being (laughs) many results last week, but that was for your ears only, Will. This week, we've had a few more results. We had a couple of Quick chases on the final day. Glamorgan chased down 166 in 45 overs. And then even more quick was Yorkshire chasing down 213 in 49 overs, including Harry Brooks scoring 56 at over a run a ball. And David Milan getting 65, which I feel like he's kind of the forgotten man of test cricket again, like he was, you know, for a while before he came back into the test side. And, you know, there were some really good games Essex getting over the line in a mental game that I think we're probably going to spend at least half the time we, we focus on the county <laughs> championship on because obviously they were playing Somerset and yes we are biased. We had Surrey stacking up the runs at the Oval as they do and then winning by an innings. And then we had a couple of draws. We had Lancashire winning by ten wickets, including four four first innings wickets for Matt Parkinson, three second innings wickets. So. You know, will he finally get a chance to play? I know we've already spoken a lot about England, but I think he, he should definitely be in that test side.
3: Great stuff. Yeah. And b- b- before we do that crazy game that you mentioned, uh, Tom Haynes, as we record this, what's he finished on?
4: 2.43 he finished on in that innings after getting 41 in the first innings in an absolutely mammoth partnership with Chiteshwar Pujara, getting 201 not out himself just mammoth run scoring in that game against Derbyshire. Sham Massoud getting 239 in the first innings. It never really looked like there was going to be a result, but when Sussex got kind of bowled out, but for 174, it was, it was, it was going to be all over. Their promotion bid was going to be over before it even started. But, you know, brilliant batting from Tom Haynes. Could he be in that test squad at some point this summer? Maybe. Maybe we've got some nods enthusiastic nods from Dan.
2: Um, yeah, I just want to look at that that Gloucestershire game. Thanks for that, Zach. Uh, Gloucestershire-Yorkshire game. There are quite a few interesting narratives coming out of that. So you mentioned, obviously, Brook's um, really quick, over-runner ball, um chase with Milan. Brooke also smashed a really impressive 100 in the first inning. So he really piled on the runs um, uh, in that game. And a couple of other people as well. Um, obviously, Bracy has started the season really strongly. A magnificent 177 in a losing cause in that second innings. Um, I was reading that the, the Yorkshire players were running a over to shake his hand when he got out. Just a really quality innings full of that grit and determination that we all know he can do. And I do think, as do many other people who follow, you know, County cricket, that he will be back in the England setup sooner rather than later. And he got a really raw deal, I thought, when he did come in. That was just really unfortunate for him. Um and also, um, with um with that as well, we've seen I've got a question for you, Zach, because in um, looking at England watch as well. So for sorry, there are a couple of narratives coming out of that. Although, as you said, let's be honest, if you're scoring runs at the Oval, you're just scoring runs at the Oval. Right. And would you believe it? Pope gets a 100 at the Oval. So nothing new there, but great to see him actually do the business and get 127. However, Jamie Overton um, got a quality five for, um, and a couple of wickets in the other innings in that. I've been reading online just before we hopped on the pod that some people are saying, you know, we have a real dearth of options for England in this express express pace role. Clearly, the injuries are piling up, as we've talked about before on this pod. Zach, do you do you see, you know, we've got the kind of inside of baseball Somerset knowledge. I'd be reluctant knowing Jamie Overton, seeing him as I have before. To, to think he'd be quite consistent enough for England. But as a real wildcard option, if he keeps getting the wickets in the county champ, I think there's a space in the team, uh, depending on other people's fitness, for a real pacey bowler, and he, he could be the answer.
4: Bye. I can't think of many worse options I'm not going to lie Glenn <laughs> I I, kind of I absolutely I, kind of I absolutely hate that idea <laughs> I Jamie Overton I mean I more dislike him for his T20 bowling but he's like you said Glenn he is so inconsistent and there's also question marks over his pace some people have said that at he's clocked in at 90 miles an hour and um, yeah, he might have bowled one ball at nine miles an hour in a T20 blast game, but he's not consistently bowling at that pace. I'm sure if he comes to the if he comes into the test side, he'll be bowling at 83 miles an hour and it'll be no point in difference. He'll just be doing it more erratically than anyone else.
2: <laughs> well, that's that's a no. OK, well, maybe Bracey and Pope, uh, some good news there. Um, Zach, let's... oh, yeah, go on, Zach.
4: Just a quick one on Harris Ralph. He played for Yorkshire in this game. It was only his sixth ever first-class game, which is just brilliant. And he was he was really expensive, but took wickets. At one point he had he had like naught for twenty five off of like four overs or something, and then took like three wickets pretty quickly. He was actually bowling very quickly, and yeah, brilliant story from Harris Ralph because he's he came through the. Lahore Kalander's kind of talent finder program. So he never played for first for a first class team in Pakistan until very recently, and has only played a handful of games because obviously he's been playing for Pakistan around the world and playing in franchise tournaments. But yeah, great to see him play for Yorkshire. and It'd be interesting to see how he goes because, like we said, like I said, he just hasn't played that many first class games.
2: Absolutely. And do you want to focus just a little bit more? I know we're both excited about this. Sadly. Um, Somerset couldn't couldn't see off one of the comebacks um, of the decade which I think it would have been but Zach do you want to briefly go over for our listeners what I think was quite clearly the standout game of what was a really a really you know impressive uh, kind of round of fixtures as you mentioned uh, were a lot more results heavy than um, than um, some previous ones but yeah just just tell listeners about the Somerset-Essex game in case they missed it Zach because it was it was something special.
4: Yeah so Somerset they they lost the toss. They were put into bat, as I think every single person in the world would have put them into bat because they can't bat. And they, you know, that was proved to be a great decision. Tom Lamanby was kind of the only person who well, he was the only person who got above 15 in the innings. They were bowled out for 109. Lamanby got 48. Just. Steckady and Cook taking the wickets up top and then Harmer just came on to just whittle off the last three straight off the plane from South Africa.
0: <laughs>
4: and then at one point, Essex were a hundred I think it was one hundred and nine or yeah, one hundred and nine for two overnight. they you know, they'd already caught up runs. Well, they were effectively not two, you could say. But, you know, they still had eight wickets in hand and then wickets just t- absolutely tumbled in the morning. Alistair Cook got out first ball of the next day, I think it was, in the second day. Craig Overton and Peter Siddle, absolutely brilliant opening partnership, ended up bowling them out for 180, which could have been even better for Somerset because they were 156 for nine if that man, Simon Harmer, hadn't kind of got in with the kind of handy 20. And then Somerset batted again. I was thinking, oh, you know what? If we can If we can get to parity, two down maybe maybe we'll have a chance and uh, again somerset couldn't bat uh, if it wasn't for matt renshaw's 45 and steve davis's 51 this could have been even worse and they were bowled out for 154 setting essex 83 to win a looking very comfortable 83 you'd have thought and they're not going to not going to falter here and until they started to they started to bat and at one point they were four for four and I was messaging the chat frantically being like what is happening I wasn't watching the game I was just getting the notifications to and I was like right I've, I've got to get this game on four for four and then just it was 28 for six at one point and then there was a couple of I think Adam Rossington their mm-hmm. new signing from Northlands kind of got them over the line in the mm. end With a really handy 29, it's not often you say that, 29 being a really handy score in in a four-day game. But, you know, very good, very important for them. And, yeah, they got over the line with one wicket in hand. Craig Overton took 13 for 87 across the game. And to take 13 for 87 and, and lose, I can't imagine that's happened very often
2: no it was in incredible really um obviously you know watching it from the from the somerset perspective of course um yeah, to see two bowlers, we were just talking before we came on air, you know, Overton and Siddle, that is a really elite, you know, ob- elite attack in England with the red ball and the county championship. I mean, obviously as we've seen, he didn't do a great job, but Overton uh, did, you know, start for England, um, obviously in the Caribbean, and Siddle, we all know Siddle's pedigree, and we all know how much he loves the game. I just love his enthusiasm. I think Siddle lifts the dressing room whenever whenever he's um, with a team, so to have those two is fantastic. And, in theory, England's number one spinner, who, may I add, did didn't bowl a ball in this entire game as far as I'm aware Jack Leach England's number one spinner didn't bowl (laughs) a single delivery in the second round of the county championship which um yeah, which is an odd one, but yeah, I mean, from that Somerset perspective, it's just a massive shame, I think, that we've we've got this quality attack with the ball, um, and you know, once again, Zach, it's just the batters, the batters can't seem to do the business. Although, with that said, I, uh, Renshaw does seem an astute and astute signing, an astute overseas signing, um, and he was the real, pretty much, him and Davis um, were the real were the real anchors in that second innings, and we just needed one more wicket, and as you as you as you pointed out, you know, Rossington was the one at one point. Would you believe it? Even chasing. 84 some that were maybe marginally favorites just as we as the game carried on um but yeah a real thrilling game and honestly I think it's been a really really outstanding round of fixtures that you know a lot of batters who have who we've expected to have piled on the runs um and have quite a few less draws as we've said as we've said a couple of times which I think just makes it more exciting even from the neutrals point of view you want to see results um and I think I think you know, it's going to be a new England, it's going to be a new kind of structure with the English game, as as we've discussed. And I think the more results we get in county, county championship games, the better for the for the game as a whole.
4: Just before we move on from the county championship, one performance from, from a batter I want to talk about is Ben Compton, who scored, who's, he, he played for, he plays for Kent, opens the batting, and he scored 104 not out from their 260 carrying his bat in their... First innings after Lancashire hit 506. In the second innings, he he got 115 of 279 and was so nearly, so, so nearly the kind of sixth person ever to carry his bat in both innings, but was the final wicket to fall. And then Lancashire got over the line with with 10 wickets in hand. Also, in that game, it's a guy I mentioned, I think, in one of my first ever pod appearances because he played for England and the like. Under-19 World Cup in like 2020 is a guy called Hamadullah Kadri, who's a spinner, an off-spinner, who took six wickets in the first innings and has only played a handful of games. But keep an eye on him if he keeps taking wickets.
2: Yeah, not just that, but a career best 77 with the bat as well um, in in Kent's second innings. So really impressive stuff there. And I love that, Zach. I think there's already a couple of narratives and real standout performers we can extrapolate from these games. Um, I will say, even as someone who loves county cricket, I am already finding it somewhat overwhelming to follow and to stay up to date with. I think... I don't know whether it's an issue with uh with my bandwidth. I can see a few nods on the chat though. I we we will come back to this as the season progresses, but it it's one of those it's one of those tournaments, I feel like unless you're following it as closely as Zach does so wonderfully, I think it's quite easy to lose the thread pretty, pretty quickly. So I'm going to make a a real renewed effort to, to stay as uh, on top of it as I can. But, you know, the, the, this this week proved, you know, why we love it so much, the quality of the county championship. And I think why there's no excuse for England's test team to be in the position they are with these players doing the business in the in the domestic league.
3: I really need a weekly highlights show that I can just set aside a half hour slot and somebody will tell me everything that's happening.
4: I've said for so long if I win the lottery I will do live county, live county kind of like final score (laughs) as well as a highlights show. That's it. It'll be a massive waste of money but Mate,
1: just go to to Mauritius or something have a holiday, buy a car. Good for you, bro. Good for you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's uh, quickly finish off this week with uh, IPL. Uh, I'll be honest, and I think, Will, you might be the same, I've been able to catch minimal IPL. I've caught some of it. Uh, Zach, I'm going to let you lead us off on this chat. What should people be knowing about the IPL right now? The only thing I know as a very casual watcher is that Mumbai are winless still, which is hilarious.
4: Yeah, Mumbai are winless. They're, they're not very good. We've mentioned previously, there looks like there's a kind of Pandia Brothers shaped hole in their middle order. Mm. They tried to solve it with Tim David, who they dropped after two games. Their best batter at the moment is is 18 year old South African Devot Brevis, who at the time when he was picked up in the auction, it seemed like it was one of those, oh, yeah, Mumbai are thinking ahead. They're, mm. they're playing for they're playing for two years' time. Him and Ishkish in, will be their openers for 10 years, but that he wouldn't play a game this season. He's top-scored in the last two innings, I believe, and got 49 from 25 and then 31 from 13 balls in amongst some pretty poor performances. So yeah, Mumbai are terrible. Chennai did get a win, but are also pretty poor. And the two new teams are the top two, and... They're both pretty good. I think Gujarat are gonna burn out pretty soon though, because they seem to just have they had Hardik play the innings of his life. They've had a couple of brilliant innings from Shubman Gill, but everyone else they seem to just have one player doing it all in one game. And obviously that's okay, but there's no there's no consistency there. Their bowling attack is brilliant. I'll give them that. Shami taking wickets up top. Lucky Ferguson doing what Lucky Ferguson does. Rashi can't do what Rashi Khan does. You can't really ask for much more than that. But I think they will probably get the playoffs but I don't think they're going to they're going to do it in the end. Are you saying
1: that's not sustainable for a player to have like one of them unbelievable? Is it a different player each time as well and just one of them is rocking up each time? Well, you know, we love that. Well,
4: we had david miller who i think is just kind of he's just standard plays in franchise tournaments nothing special kind of thing he scored 94 from 51 against chennai and carried them over the line in a chase they had no they did they no right getting anywhere near it and they managed to you know sneak over the line there rashid khan scoring 40 from 21 in that as well and yeah very good i think other teams punjab kings are a pretty good fun as well yeah
1: they are but it feels like every other team in the middle including Rajasthan will I just have what they win as many as they lose they're all like three and three at the minute or something like that obviously got the two who have just poked above the top Mumbai and Chennai who are struggling interestingly that everyone else is everybody else at the minute right
3: yeah but that's almost always the case in IPL which makes it quite yeah. entertaining <laughs> so I'm quite enjoying this nice little it feels a bit like the sort of the, the Champions League battle for that fourth spot you've got sort of five probably teams at a push who all could get three and four seeds in the table, which I'm quite enjoying. Um, So Rajasthan KKR is a massive game in that they're kind of tied on points. I think in the middle of the table playing each other right now, Um, Butler scored 74 or 48, not out at the moment, partnering Sanju Sampson, which is the key partnership that's driving Rajasthan to actually a competent partnership this season. Those two have, so Sampson hit spin better than anyone else in the league this season. Um, and Butler not too far behind. So that's really the partnership that suddenly makes Rajenstein competent. I'm enjoying that. I don't think it'll last, but if we can get top four, that'll be enjoyable. Great fact about David Miller, by the way, I can't remember the exact details of this, but it's something like in the last four or five IPL seasons of people of batters to have faced a certain number of balls. There are 58 of them and David Miller has the 57th highest strike rate. So him doing what he's doing for Gujarat is a complete aberration and not supposed to be happening. That kind of illustrates Zach's point that they are not as good as they seem to be.
1: An unsustainable team there. Um, England Watch, obviously you mentioned Butler there. He's just doing unbelievably. Livingston's had a good start to the tournament as well. He keeps getting like a quick 60, at about 200 strike rate, right, uh, strike rate wise, which is good. Uh, Tamel Mills, is he? I'm guessing he's struggling in and amongst that Mumbai madness. I saw he went for about 48 off two and a half overs the other day, which was pretty smelly.
4: He was dropped at one point when they were playing two overseas players, which wow. seemed very harsh. But mm. yeah, not been amazing. Chris Jordan's the real, the real worry. I, I, I would be surprised, and I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be happy either if we ever see him play for England in a T20 again, because his form has just been awful. Yesterday, or a couple of days ago, if you're when you're listening to this, he bowled. 3.5 overs and went for 58 runs. Again, that was against the kind of Gujarat innings where Rashid Khan and David Miller were tearing them apart and it just wasn't working at all. You know, missing the Yorkers and just getting yeah. smacked around, as we've seen you know, pretty consistently I'm sure, over the last couple of years. I'm sure we spoke about this at the end of the West Indies T20 series
1: in early March or no February, whenever that was. He was struggling as well, so I don't think that's too too big a shout, despite his seniority in that team how's Moeen getting on is he okay he's okay okay?
3: he's okay so there's um there's a really interesting piece in ESPN cricket which we can link into the in the description which kind of covers a lot of the key trends for this year's IPL but one of them is the retained players ahead of the auction almost all are not performing to where they should be and Moeen unfortunately is a classic example of that He's, he's not okay with the ball he's not really bowling that much this season um but batting, yeah, he had that great spell for Chennai last season where he would come in at three and was hitting, you know, very good average, very high strike rate, all was well. And he's, he's not quite hitting that form this year, unfortunately.
4: What, one one caveat I would say on the Moeen point is that Chennai side last year had such a good balance at the top of their order because they had Faf, who was like the best pace hitter in the league last year, and they had Gaikwad with him, who was the best spin hitter in the league. And obviously moeen is is an amazing spin hitter as well so if guy quad went it was fine because they just had another spin hitter to kind of work with faf because faf is terrible at hitting spin as has been seen in his pretty poor returns for um rcb this year so far because everyone's just bowling loads of power play spin at him but for csk last year that was fine because he'd just get a single and then guy quad hit them out of the out of the park so that kind of balance has gone they don't seem to have someone who can hit the pace as well at the top of the order. They've got Conway's been opening a fair bit and just not gone too well. So I think give give Moeen a little bit of a break there because, you know, when he when he plays for England, we've got, obviously, England have got some of the best pace hitters in the world in, you know, Jason Roy and, and Jos Butler. So he'll be all right. He'll be fine. Good.
1: I was just check. i like to check in on Moeen. One other thing, Zach, and I remember you explained this in the preview we did with Ben Jones, was that they're in two groups to work out who, who plays each other what, but they don't display it like that, do they? They display it still as one 10 team, which I like. I think that makes sense in my brain a bit more. I don't really care who plays who, how often, just give me a league of 10 teams and we'll see. So that's working for me. And and I think like Will was saying, I'm, I'm enjoying that everyone's actually quite close, apart from a couple of teams that got stranded, right?
4: Yeah, I'm. I kind of keep forgetting that they're even in two groups because it doesn't yeah. get mentioned. And it doesn't need because it of doesn't the way
1: needs need to know.
3: I no. literally, if we if we weren't doing this podcast and Zach didn't keep saying it, I would literally have no idea.
1: Yeah, same. But I think I reckon that's a deliberate ploy to just so everyone's like, it's as it was. It's just two teams, and I don't care who plays it as many times. Just just give me a result, and I'll be happy. Um, yeah,
3: if we just one closing note, because I think lots of people, if they're not paying massive attention, will look at the table and see Mumbai and Chennai at the bottom and be like, what the hell is going on? I still think Mumbai let's not let's not be too smug about Mumbai being terrible this season because they'll be back next year and they will destroy some people. Because basically they went all in an auction strategy that was get Tim David at any cost and get Joffrey Archer, knowing that he'd be out for basically the entire first year, but you've then got him for at least three seasons after that. Let's be absolutely clear, a pace attack of Bumrah and Jofra, and then eventually it will be Brevis and Ishkish. As I said, Brevis wasn't even supposed to play this season, and he's already hitting some incredible knocks. So that opening partnership with that bowling attack, and you've got people like Tilak Varma, who's a young Indian player, coming through. They've still got that young Indian core. Mumbai will be fine. They'll be back next season and destroy some people. <laughs>
4: yeah I wish I wish I could put a bet on who was going to win the IPL in 2024 because Mumbai are going to win the IPL in 2024 if you know Tim David keeps doing what he's doing you know around the world even if he's not doing it in the IPL it's just going to get better and better and it the interesting thing is that it, it seems to be the kind of the first season for well, as long as I can remember where they don't they're not consistently playing an overseas pacer and Mumbai seem to love having at least one, often two, overseas Pacers to kind of supplement, particularly in recent years, to supplement Jasper Bumrah. But this year year they're they're trusting some Indian Pacers who really aren't delivering for them. But, you know, they've basically given up on this year already, haven't they?
3: Yeah, it's the closest thing I've ever seen to like tanking in the NBA (laughs) in a sport that doesn't have a draft that works like that that's basically what they're doing this season's a write-off but that's okay um i also want to give a special shout out sunrisers have 22 year old young indian bowler and Malik, prospect love him he's quick that's basically the only thing i've deduced so far um took three wickets and four balls which is really unlucky not to be a hat-trick but he looks like a real indian option in the next few years
4: Yeah, I I think he I think he has the fastest kind of average pace of any bowler in the tournament at the moment. But that is kind of helped by the fact he just doesn't bowl slower balls. So like Lockie Ferguson obviously can bowl quicker than him. But Lockie Ferguson bowls some slower balls. So they are slower than him. But Malik just doesn't really bowl slower balls. So, you know, he's quicker than everyone else.
3: And my other great fact, speaking of young Indian bowlers on the IPL this season, I'll finish on this. This is my version of Zach's quick question. I'm hijacking it to fuse <laughs> formats together for the sake of time. Two Indian bowlers are the best and the worst when it comes to death bowling this tournament. Dan, do you want to have a guess? Which is which?
1: Best and worst death bowlers. They're both, they're both Indian. Okay, I'm going to say best. Worst, Bumrah. Best.
3: Shami. You're not far off. Shami, I think, is third best. Okay. Um, Mohammed Siraj is the worst. No so way. again, in that Bumrah camp of established international, he goes yeah. to something yeah. like 13 and over in the death in the last four overs. Best with a run with a with a with a conceded runs of less than six and over. Ashdeep Singh. Mesh. Ashdeep. Little legend. He's starting to boss it. He'll be in an India shirt before long.
1: Well, that was a nice little sort of fact. And I feel bad for going in on Boomer again. It was just the only name that came into my head. I've got a history of saying love death, hating. I love Death's going for validation. I, can. I think he's not had a great tournament so far. Um, great stuff, boys. That will wrap up this week. Uh, plenty to talk about as always. Thank you very much for listening. I um, hope you enjoyed that. And we'll be back same time next week with whatever's happened in the in the next week. So, yeah, see you next week.